Hang on one sec. I think I took too big of a dip. <laughs> <laughs> I just spread the wealth a little bit. <laughs> oh. Thank God for pop filters on nice. This is episode number 61. I have with me today the usual suspects, Nick. Hey. Justin. Sup. And that compass dude. What's up, guys? <laughs> That's Jesse. What's going on, Jesse? Oh, not too much. Pretty slow week. Yeah? You've been doing some simming, you were just saying. I have been doing some simming, but that's only because it's still raining outside. So, kind of kind of forced to sim. Aww. That sounds bad, dude. Anytime you're forced to sim. That's almost yeah. that sounds almost like being forced to play compass stuff. You know, I guess <laughs> you, you can take it for what it is. <laughs> I wish someone would force me to sim. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Someone definitely needs to force my ass to sim. <laughs> yes, they do. By gunpoint. <laughs> it's just not it's just not uh it's just not a lot of fun for me guys that's all there is to it so what's been going on guys uh, you guys have been having some shitty rainy weather over there all of you all three of you oh hey it's been terrible man <sighs> we've been getting a little bit of snow of course yesterday was thanksgiving did you guys have a good thanksgiving oh yeah yeah was the, dude the weather was just immaculate yesterday Screw you. 55 degrees and sunny, and I was stuck with my white trash salad family. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best text ever, by the way. Yeah, that was a good one. (laughs) Oh, man. You want to talk about dysfunction at its finest. That's so awesome. I'm what? sitting there at our our Thanksgiving, the second dinner we had for the day, and I just get this random text. It's like, dude. My whole family is the epitome of white trash. <laughs> it's like, that is awesome. It is just, I mean. At I, least there's entertainment in it, man. I mean, cases of empty Budweiser. <laughs> Bottle or boxes of empty wine. It was just something else. But I was there and I was, I kept looking out the window going, oh my God, look at it. Look at it out there. No wind. Little, you know, it was a little cloudy, but just, you know, it had been, you know, we've been getting quite a bit of rain here too, uh, rain mixed with snow, and um, we're not used to that around here, rain. So tell us, Justin, the rain has been going there forever. Is it going to stop? Are you going to be able to get some flying in anytime soon, or what the hell, dude? Okay, so here's the freaking thing, right? Um, I actually ran out into my tiny backyard that can really only fit me in a 90 sized heli and hovered out a set of packs on my whiplash yesterday in like the 10 minutes that the rain stopped (laughs) and it started about two minutes left in the pack. It started sprinkling again. I said, screw it. I don't even care. 
You just, I, I mean, just just the sound of the rotor blades was enough. You just ha- jackhammered right through it, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm changing his nickname. Are you to what? Yeah, it's Justin No Fly Poochie. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's BS, I'm just man. Start calling him No Fly. We're, hey, here comes No Fly. We're dealing with the same weather here, and and I get a text from Nick. Just just put on your uh, put on your little girl panties. <laughs> And go out and fly. I said, are you using those panties too? Because if it works for you in this rain, I'm all over it, man. I rock any panties that you've got. Well, don't they don't they make those uh, don't they make those uh, like polyurethane panties so you can wear them at night and not get wet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need them. We need. I do. I need uh, a. If that's all it takes, bag. man, <laughs> I'll stick one of those on my heli. Yeah, oh, we we need something. I mean, I got out on what was that Sun Saturday. Yeah, see, I don't remember Saturday or Sunday of l- last weekend, but it was like not, it was not cool <laughs> at all. I, I would be lying if I said it was enjoyable. It was more out of sheer stubbornness. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll fly. Screw you. I'll go ahead and fly. <laughs> and oh, it that was, was the six flights in the wind. Yep. Oh, it was it was it was so freaking windy, dude. I mean, I gave up on the nitro after the first flight because I couldn't turn the head speed up more. I mean, <laughs> that was fun. I was like, okay, well, this is not cool at all. Okay, we'll try the electric. Yeah, that still sucked. Yeah, uh, God, this is just not a good time of year for us up here in the northern region. You know what I mean? Yeah. So lying. I'm guessing I'm gathering, Nick. You just told us you got a. One day of flying in, Justin. You got some night uh, or some micro flying in. That's it. Huh? That's all we got. So- oh, I, I I got a couple of things. Yeah, what do you got? I got I got two bits of interesting information, or I, I, at least I think it's kind of cool. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Since we're going over this week, yeah, I didn't get much flying in. Um, but I've been working with Thomas Cook at MKS Servos USA, and we are going to be doing an RC Heli Nation review on the uh, 90 size, 600, 700 size HBL 665s and 669 uh, high voltage servos that MKS does. Jeez, I'm always the last to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, by the way. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) And they think I run the show around here, Jiminy Crickets. Yeah, we just all kind of wing it. I'll even... Piggyback his, and I know the um, all of our members on Facebook saw, but we've also have we have the Soko tool review coming, and I'll probably have that one ready by next show. Yeah, and if the rain ever quits, I promise to get some flights in on the Icon, so I can give a little update on that one of these weeks. Yes. Well, and- I might as well just join in be- before you say your next thing there, Justin. Shit. Yeah, do it. Do it. What do it's you got? Turn. I got a little package in the other day from Hobbyco. In that package was an AnyLink for my Futaba and an X100 CP. Yes, sweet. Nice. So I put a picture of it up on the uh, up on the Facebook. You know, I I've messed with it. I've, I've flown it once or twice, uh, just here in the house teasing the cats, and um, I love it. They don't. <laughs> and um, I got to tell you, I. There will be more to come. I suspect I, too, will have that done. I'm actually hoping to get some video of it tomorrow. No, Sunday. Uh, I'm going to go flying indoors, and we'll get some video of that there, hopefully, if that comes through. I'm thinking it will. 
And um, initially, let me just tell you guys, I'm pretty impressed. Um, it seems where the MCPX fell short, this one kind of picks up the ball a little bit. Ooh, okay, leave me in suspense. I, I'm going to leave I'm, you in suspense. I, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. I, it's a, you know, it's a neat little, it's a micro, and like Nick said. That, you know, it's funny you said that, too, the other day, Nick. <laughs> the first thing I said when I got it, I was like, oh, okay, well, here it is. Teeny little box. First thing I opened, looked at it, I go, yeah, it's a micro. Yeah. <laughs> God, I hate these little <laughs> So, but, but as, that's uh, why. That's yeah. why we want you to do it. Yeah, and also, too, the, you know, us Futaba guys, we have a tendency to kind of miss out on some of these little things, and this is uh, the beauty of that AnyLink. And it's kind of funny. I've seen some mixed reviews on the Facebook page. Um, you know, I haven't really, I can't really speak to it yet. Haven't got a lot of, uh, the thing I, let me tell you the one thing I don't like about it is I was forced to put some Velcro on my Futaba radio. Oh. Yeah. I didn't, to keep I, the AnyLink on. Yeah, because you got yeah. pos- to position it in a specific location. And it just plugs into like the, the uh, trainer yeah, port and, or something. Uh, this one is designed to work with, I believe, a few of the Spectrum radios, some of the JR radios, and it, it's got two different adapters, uh, one for the JR side and the other for the Futaba side. fits right into the trainer port. Obviously, the JR side, the Spectrum side, is like the uh, eighth-inch stereo jack. And then uh, the Futaba is the little trapezoid-looking thing. Mm-hmm. That's so. cool. Nice. Yeah, it just plugs right into the trainer port. Did you see that video that Nick Maxwell did? Since I know you're going to go in that gym and throw the uh, the 3D smackdown. Nick who? Nick Maxwell. Uh, Maxwell. He did, a, he did a little video on the... Still trying to place that, Nick Maxwell. Yeah. Who? Wait a minute. No, I'm only kidding. Sort of, of kind of good at flying and stuff. The guy who yeah. I scared, the guy who I scared he's got some a really cool little tips and tricks um, video that he did specifically for that heli. You did. In- you did send me that link, and I specific. Awesome. I purposely. I I have it saved, but I purposely didn't look at it yet. Awesome. Good. Because I want to kind of just get my perspective of it without any influence or uh, input from any outside sources after i fly it for a little bit i'll start looking at that and and uh include that's those hard things. to do you know that's really hard to do and I'll, i think all of us now since we've all done reviews have uh have struggled with that because man that's like the first thing i usually do oh yeah i'll, I'll go just do, do a bunch yeah. of research and I'll, I'll have every tip and trick modified thing before i ever pick it anything up off the ground or use it at all and it's it's hard when we do these reviews that's not what we're trying to do we're trying to do it yeah. if you know nothing about it. Yeah, I don't want to go into it thinking that there's a flaw or a weakness. I want to be able to see if I can pick up on it on my own. Yeah. Not that I can. I'm not very yeah. analytical. I mean, <laughs> so if it goes up in the air, it's a, it's a plus. And it does that. So, <laughs> so far, so good. I have good. one more little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just real quickly, want to brush over it um, for all of you. Heli Freak users, you won't be able to snag me on there anymore. Um, I am joining Dan. We're not going to get into that. But uh, I apologize. You cannot contact me through Heli Freak. So just hit us up wherever, pretty much everywhere else. Um, yeah, we'll move right along past that. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Meanwhile, back on the ranch. So, Justin, I think I interrupted you. Did you have one other? Yeah, I did. Uh, just a little thing. Um, so as as you guys all know, uh, we did the review on the Heli Command X series of fly barless systems. And during that, I worked with uh, Danny Melnick and Joachim 
Ewelfeld. Sorry, Joachim. I'm just going to call him Joe from here on out because I butchered his name on the actual episode that we <laughs> talked about it. Um, and so I, I've been talking to them, and I think I'm going to be uh, joining up with Team Heli Command here uh, and working with them on representing the product and um, and that sort of thing. So I'm excited about that. Um, one thing I did want to touch on about this though, because I think what you guys have been seeing in the last little bit is that, uh, you know, with, with, um, uh, Jesse getting two or three sponsorships in the last week, um, Nick joined up with Skookum, uh, a while back. Uh, I, I just want to hit on this point and I think it's important. And I think all the guys agree with me on this. We've talked about this before, uh, off the air. Um, and, and I've, I've seen people ask questions about this just because we have sponsorships guys does not mean that we are not going to remain objective in oh, our yeah. reviews and in our future discussions of products. Um, yep. that's something that we go into our partnerships with those sponsors, uh, putting that down on the table. They know that. Uh, as as a as members of RC Heli Nation, we have an obligation to you guys as listeners to be objective and to give you the facts, and uh, and we are going to continue to do that even if we are sponsored by a company that has a product in competition with something that we're reviewing. I'm going to continue to test my Fury and Six with the Skookum SK540 just because I want to be able to tell you guys what I feel what my perspective is. Nick's still going to be doing his different fly barless testing, so on and so forth. Yep. So don't just don't, uh, don't worry about that. We're, we shoot from the hip. We're straight, uh, straight shooters about that kind of stuff, guys. And uh, we're here to keep you guys in the loop on all the different products. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm you know, actually really glad that you brought that up. I mean, that's really important to me. And what I don't think a lot of people realize is when we, we get involved with these companies. Our goal is to review good quality stuff. Uh, I mean, I'll tell all you guys out there right now, we don't take every review that we have the opportunity to do. Reason no. being that we just know we like to, we're not trying to, you know, do a ton of research before we get it, but it's like, well, you know, this seemed, this thing seems to be gaining some momentum. And, and we want to help promote something that's already good quality. Now, if we find some flaws in it, obviously we're going to tell you about those. But I, I just had this nasty term used this week, and I'll, I'm going to be the one to go ahead and say it. Um, got called a product whore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, that one, out of all the stuff that we've had lately, that one happened to really crawl under my skin the most. Here's the deal. These reviews that you guys are getting, when you're reading them, uh, I know because we pride ourselves in the way that we do our reviews. You're going, wow, holy cow. Okay, this is really in-depth. This is sweet. Oh, man, I, I never noticed that. The detail that we go into with these reviews is an advantage for a company. And, and a lot of companies get these, you know, let's say 12, 13, 15, 16-year-old kids who can fly absolutely amazingly. But they just don't have that experience to give feedback other than, yeah, it flies good or no, it doesn't. So, so that's why it's not so much that we're taking sponsorships and like now you're going to hear me just sit here and fanboy after Product X because I represent them. No, we are 
a lot of the times we're going back and working with them to give them feedback in the same way that we do that we the detail that we go into with our reviews and helping them make a better product. That that the cool part with that is that it doesn't distract from I'm still allowed to it, if I didn't have to go in and help them that means that it was perfect and none of them are perfect. Right. You know, and, and we know that and we're okay with saying that. I can still fly something and say it's a good product but it's not perfect. And, and I'll do that with anything. So yeah, just don't don't worry about that because you're still going to hear the same thing. And and we like Justin said, we give all of the companies that we rep for or that we work with on R&D, we give all of them that big disclaimer. Hey, yeah, you, right up front. Right up front. Here's the deal. You know, we like your stuff. Yes, I'd love to work with you on helping you put out a better product, but as the nation we give it to you straight, whether you want to hear it or not. And we're, I'm okay with saying, even though I fly for, you know, or I'm on the Skookum team, I'm okay to say, dude, Vibar's badass. Absolutely. I mean, there's yeah, nothing and, wrong with that. And what it comes down to is you, you guys want to think of it, the way I like to think of it is it's not necessarily that uh, we're by no means blindly supporting any products. That's another thing I want to hit on. And I know Nick and Jesse and Dan, you guys all agree no one takes a, a, a partnership or a sponsorship without being able to say, I've flown this thing. I can stand behind this product. And what it comes down to really at the end of the day is here's a product that I, I Justin, like or Nick likes and we feel strongly enough about it to support it. It doesn't mean that that product is the best. It doesn't mean that we can't still come on and talk about products that compete with it in a positive or negative sense. It's just that's what we've chosen for our own flying as our baseline uh, 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 against which to compare all of the other products. Yeah. Uh, for the record, all you manufacturers out there, my opinion can be bought. <laughs> just, just. Dan has a price. <laughs> I could be your fanboy. Just, just send me an email. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss the terms. <laughs> you can reach me at Dan at Do What It Takes. <laughs> oh, that's some funny shit. No, it's been an interesting week. Um, there's no oh. doubt, and and we don't need to go into the details of that. Most of you guys are out there aware of that, and. Um, Moving on. Uh, moving on fun. from that, uh, I, there is one other thing before we go into the news that I want to address, um, kind of let you guys know what's going on. A lot of you noticed that our website was um, uh, down for oh, the better part of almost 20 hours. Uh, simply, uh, simply turns out that um, we are just outgrowing our host. Uh, Dan leaned on the keyboard. That's what <laughs> I mean. I mean, that's that's that script that I use to uh, constantly download. Webs. I mean, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, that. Um, so we we are going to address that ASAP. Hopefully, that doesn't happen again. Um, uh, I want to just assure that, um, that there was no maliciousness anywhere in that. It was just um, simple matter of fact. Is um, too many people trying to do too much, which we appreciate. I mean, it was a good compliment. It was a, it's awesome. Oh yeah. However, it was a huge inconvenience for those of you who were looking to either just get on the website or download the show. Um, one which we hope to have resolved 
within a day or two. So yeah, maybe uh, by the time you even listen to this, it will be fixed permanently. We just didn't, uh, we didn't know how awesome our listeners were. Yeah. And we got educated. Yeah. So So, thank you guys for (laughs) crashing our site. (laughs) It was, uh, it was a learning experience to say the least. Anybody have anything, uh, else they want to add before we uh, move on into the news? I don't think so. I think I'm good. All right. We should go do something. Let's do something. Shit, guys. I think I need to get a new charger. Well, hey, Dan, why don't you head over to Progressive RC and check out that new iCharger 4010 Duo that they got over there. Looks to be a powerhouse. And dude, while you're at it, check out one of his charger case combos as well. They're great looking. I know, man. Those things look sweet. I think I'm going to do that right now. www.progressiverc.com. Check them out for your charging needs. Alright guys, this week's news is brought to you by HeliDaily.com, your daily RC helicopter news magazine. What do you got, Nick? Alright, so Grobner has a new... I, Wait, what would you call me? Yeah, yeah I, I almost remember this name <laughs> from like from way back. Yeah. Uh, they have a new heli called the Grobner WP Pulse 500. Does it use woodies? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I... Um, dude, it's fugly. <laughs> it uh mechanically it's very unique like it is they, they you can tell they did not steal anything from anyone it's got a very unique shape to it um it, it's almost kind of got that old like stratus fury look to it nice. just just kind of you know real skinny frame kind of tall long canopy um but hey you know i'm all about different stuff the motor it's a trip, dude. The motor actually sits pointed forward. Like, it sits horizontal pointed forward towards the nose. And it's a nitro? No, it's electric. 500 class. Yep. Uh, wow. How, how I'm not that? sure what I think of that, man. Is it's it, count, it, it, there's it's like a 40 caliber degree on the crown or something or what? Yeah, it does have a crown gear. It's got, so you're coming out of the motor into the pinion, then you have a counter gear, and then you go into, I'll have to zoom up the picture a little bit more, but then you go into like a crown stuff. It's just very, very unique. But hey, I'm, I dig this kind of stuff. Anything that's different. As long as you can get parts for it, then I'm all for different. So yeah, if you guys are looking for a little oddball something, um, then check that one out. Let's see. We've also got, okay, so Turnigy has um, copied, I mean, come out with a, a new charger called the Fatboy 8 1300 watt workstation charger. It it looks a lot like this other charger I've seen before. Yeah. But, uh, you know, hey, I don't want to be one to judge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do. <laughs> well, why lie? No, it, it's, uh, uh, I mean, if it doesn't light on fire, I'm sure it'll probably be, uh, you know, a, <laughs> a solid unit. If it's all the specs of the one that it seems to very closely resemble, um, it, it should be a pretty good unit. But I'll, I'll leave that up to the uh, to the end user to decide. If So if you're into, you know, Hobby King type options, 
if you like to go that route, then I think this will be a huge win because they haven't really offered any uh, chargers with this high power before. Uh, Align has... This is a pretty... Align put out... So they've got some new torque tube drive gears coming. These black ones. And they did a little demonstration video where they spun this heli up and then used the tail blades to act like almost like a table saw and cut through a 4x4. Four four. Did you guys happen to see that? I did not. I didn't. But no? I'm going to go look for it after the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, I guess Miniature Aircraft did it kind of like way back in the day to demonstrate um, back in the like the open and closed tailcase era of the Stratuses and Furies. They, they put out a video like this. It's pretty interesting. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. It's a little, a little different method of testing. But the whole theory behind it is, is that now, you know, the the number one complaint with an aligned torque tube is that every time you turn around, you tap the tail on the ground, you strip out torque tube gears. Yep. So, in aligned fashion, which I have to give them credit for, they did seem to address it with this. Um, the cost. I don't think they've released the cost on the gear set yet. But uh, I, I mean, hey, if there's if they're stronger, it's a win because I, I have had that happen when I'm, you know, shooting rowdy autos or something. You come in, just smack the tail blades. It's always the front the front gear set that goes. I'm, I might be prone to leaving like possibly the weaker white ones in the back and not upgrade the tail output shaft ones. Just, I don't know, maybe just. Because it'll be a lot easier to change out, and I don't have to pull yeah, a the whole tube out. Yeah, a lot faster to change. And I'm actually I, I'm okay with a weak link. I do like a weak link in the system. I like being able to smack the tail, not bend a tail hub, a tail output shaft, or you know, bust a torque tube or something like that. that. That's why we keep Jesse around. Yeah, we're okay with a weak link. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> I bet on that one. <laughs> Dude, I did not see that one coming. One <laughs> of these days, you were that low. One of, Jesse's totally going to have his brother whip my ass. <laughs> and you know what? Next yeah. fun fly. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see that. That'll be a quick. And this is for calling me the weak link. And this is for calling <laughs> that, me the be, guy. And, and the be a two hip, two hip fight right there. Yeah, Him hitting you and you hitting the ground. <laughs> Um, all right, so I know this is huge, and oh boy, okay, I'll, I'm gonna have to get Jesse's opinion because I know he's done it. Phoenix recently released, you can now fly the Goblin 700 on Phoenix. Jesse, how do you yes, like it? I, I like it. It is definitely one of the most stable stock models that Phoenix has come out with that I have flown yet. That is the first thing that I noticed. The second thing is. It is powerful, like most of the Phoenix models are way overpowered. I don't quite think that's the case with this one. I actually think they kind of toned it down a little bit, made it a little bit more realistic, and it, it does resemble a very like high-powered 700 electric, but it's not way over the top. Cool. And I've, you know, have, I've almost kind of noticed that trend. Like back flying, uh, they seem to have really put an effort into... Even uh, the first one that I noticed was the Whiplash. That was actually a pretty, uh, like they did a decent job with uh, like blade inertia on it. It didn't auto crazy long like the original 700 Nitro. <laughs> oh my oh, God. This, one, this one still, the auto is way, way off. I will, oh, I will say that. <laughs> oh man. 
That sucks. I, I wish they would have nailed that. But like, I've been flying the rave, and I, I haven't changed much off of it. I kind of really like it. So, Nick, before you go into the next news topic, mm-hmm. I, I want to mention, uh, you know how typically people get a little defensive when you start making fun of their brand. Oh yeah, yeah. I got a few of those emails. <laughs> oh no, about me and Gullah. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Um. Yeah, basically, uh, you know how uh, we were talking about last week, the upgrade uh, head that looks 10 years old? Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Just got a few reminders uh, from a few listeners. Um, apparently, you struck a nerve. It It is an in- a huge advance in its ability to fly. That's what they're saying. And then uh, also, too, a mention of uh, the... Uh, SAB bolt upgrade is just the bolts, man. It's just the bolts. Just thought I'd bring that up, man. Okay. You're doing your job, dude. Yeah. You're you're pissing people off. Apparently, that's my job. No, I don't. Like, if I had the choice, and I can be honest about this, if I had the choice of what style head I would prefer to fly, I would prefer to, to fly the HPS head. Like, that would be my choice. No question. No question. I, I just, I like that design better myself than a direct link style. Yeah. And I think also too, more importantly, guys, um, you know, when we start mocking these other, these products and stuff, or, you know, we're kidding around, take, take it with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, I'll, I'll also tell you that it's, I mean, as much as I sit here and knock it, it's probably one of the smoothest and most locked in helis that I've Now you're just kissing somebody's ass. No, I'm, in serious, it is. No, I can I can say that and grip my teeth at the same time, but it, it's still the ugliest heli that I've flown. Oh yeah, but it is probably one of the nicest helis that that I have flown. All I mean, right, it, it's an right. exceptional model. There's yeah. no question. If it wasn't, it wouldn't have sold this many. But I have to pick someone, and Dan's got compass. So, I mean, I don't know. Give me someone else to pick on then. Yeah, we can't we can't go a line. That's cliche, right? Yeah, everyone does. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, no, been no, no, there, no. done that. Yeah. Hmm. I think for me, I'm going to switch to Airhog, so that's going to be the one that I bash from now on. That'll be it. Yeah. All right. So DJI has, and Dan, you can just close your ears or, uh, or just deal with it because you're going to have to start <laughs> dealing with it. They have got, and this is pretty sweet, and I think this is where things are going to trend toward. They have uh, this little quad out called the Phantom. It's a, a ready to fly. Comes with transmitter. It, it's it's little. It's actually pretty little. It's got a whole underslung GoPro mount on it. It's like an all in one GPS. The whole NASA deal. Everything all in one unit. It's all molded white looking. Looks like Apple made it. If you ask me, um, it's a pretty sweet little deal. Not gonna lie. What do you think, Justin? I think it's awesome looking, man. There have yeah. been a couple of, for those of you who actually pay attention to the multi-rotor scene, there have been a couple of custom airframes that have popped up that look like this. And I think DJI, DJI did the design justice. It'll be interesting to see if out of the box it flies as well as their 450 and 550, but I'm excited. I mean, they're DJI, man, every time they come out with something new, they take it to the next level. Yeah, they don't mess around. And and well, well, size wise, how does it compare to their four hundred and fifty? 
You know, it, I just that's considerably smaller. Would this be considered a micro or is it? No, no, because it's got a, an underslung GoPro mount like right underneath it. Oh, okay. So you can this put is a, a 350, it says. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. It's it just, I, I think the big advantage with them is they're going to get that, that market of people that don't want to take the time to program anything. I mean, the, the whole DJI NASA setup is pretty plug and play, but this now, now that they include their own transmitter, they can do all the programming for you. And it's, it's no different than grabbing a, you know, a ready to fly MCPX or nano right out of the box now, except you can fly at FPV and it's got a GoPro mount underneath it. Um, let's see, to wrap it up, KDE has, you know, they've been coming out with a lot of upgrades. This one caught my eye. I love the concept of this and I'm, I'm really shocked that uh, others haven't gone gone this route before. They have just uh, released some tail boom mount adapters. What they are, they're basically like kind of like threaded studs that goes into your boom clamp where your boom supports go up and bolt to. And then they have a nut on the end. We do this a ton in the automotive industry. It's so much more resistant. I just, I love this style setup. So much freaking better. So I, I know people having issues with bolts vibrating loose like on nitro models. They shouldn't be an issue anymore. You've got nylock nuts that you're dealing with. And it's just going to be all around a lot stronger. I really, really like this. So good job, KDE. Gets my, gets my thumb up. And that's it, man. That's all you got for news. And you notice how I just stayed nice and quiet and let you guys talk about your multi-copter rotor thingy majiggers. <laughs> <laughs> I was I'm shocked. I didn't make any innuendos or it took it took a lot, but especially when when Jesse referred to um its size. I was just wondering if that's a question you get a lot. No. No. Not in particular. You don't have a problem with size? <laughs> <laughs> if if he commented back I didn't hear it. I so. didn't. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to say something. He's wow. speechless, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was that was great. All right, guys. This week's news has been brought to you by HeliDaily.com, your daily RC helicopter news magazine. Somewhere on the other side of town lies a helicopter, broken, bent, and clinging to life. How it got there is a mystery. Was it a lockout or just dumb thumbs? One thing we do know, though, is the only chance it has for the right parts to bring it back to life? Helipros.com Right, so this week's talk. Here's the thing, guys. Nick and Justin and Jesse, they don't even know what we're going to talk about tonight. Not a clue. I um, Nope. I just um, had some divine inspiration, and I figured what we would talk about, because it's that time of year, preventative maintenance. What are you guys doing to your helicopters now that you're not getting out to fly more? Is this the time of year where you're going to be tearing them down and rebuilding? And if so, what are you going to be doing to them? Let me just give you an idea of what I do 
Um, and then we can just kind of go from there. What I do with mine is um, if I know that I'm not going to be flying, you guys really, well, Nick does nitro. Um, well, so does Jack. You guys all have experience with nitro though, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Tell me this. When you guys end a flying session, do you run the fuel out of your motors? No. Nope. Do you run the no. fuel out of your motors if you know that you might not be flying for a week, two, maybe three? Nope. Nope. No. Full tank. So here's what I do. This is old school here. Oh. If I know that I'm not going to be flying, and this has this goes down to that whole winter maintenance, and, and if I know that it's going to be a while or if I'm not sure, I go ahead and run the fuel out of the motor, and then I crack open the back plate. Don't have to take the motor out. Crack open the back plate and put about a half an ounce of automatic transmission fluid in there and then cycle the motor over a few times. That's that's one thing that I do. It helps in this area, especially where we have the extreme weathers. It could be below freezing at night, up to 45, 50 degrees in the daytime. A lot of condensation. And I don't know about you guys, and I'm sure you do because it's pretty humid over there. Oh, yeah. If you leave your helicopter set for too long, you'll notice stuff like rust on the bolts and those kind of things. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So the thinking, what I am doing and my thought process is I'm just kind of covering those parts with some automatic transmission fluid to keep, first of all, running running the, the fuel out, gets rid of all the, anything in there that could draw moisture into the motor for the most part because you're burning all the uh, alcohol out of it. And then to lubricate and cover those parts with automatic transmission fluid. What do you guys think of that? Is that something you should do? I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Yeah, not you, at all. Todd Bennett told me that he. I don't. I just can't imagine people, someone doing this. He actually told me that when he gets done flying for the day, every day, he cracks open the back plate and puts a dab of well, whatever, a little dab of uh, transmission fluid in there. I've always used transmission fluid in the wintertime. I can't imagine doing that every day, though. Has it ever caused you a problem, Dan? I mean, every every spring season you come back and it's it's great, ready to run? Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing is generally my helicopters, even in the winter, don't go much more than maybe a month without a start. A couple seasons ago, I was not doing real well and I had to, I was pretty much down all winter long. Uh, that was the longest they went and it was, they looked fresh as, uh, you know, just like I'd just flown them yesterday when it, they went all winter long. Uh, without even being looked at. The the reason I started doing that is, you know, I grew up in a, on a farm here in Montana, and my grandpa used to, that was like his cure-all for engine problems. <laughs> Motor's not running right? Oh, crack crack the cave, the head open and, and pour a quart of transmission fluid and pull the oil pan and just let it drain through. And it seemed to work. Yeah, ATF is made up of a very, very, very high percentage of cleaning agents. And that's why it actually works pretty good. Um, it works pretty good as a decarbonizer, and it you know obviously it's going to keep stuff from rusting. It's not an issue. You know what it's really used for. Um, it's not an issue to have any rust in a valve body on a car, so it, it works very very well. And I, I don't see. I, I'm just way too lazy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that sounds like a lot. Why of work. lie? It, it, but I think that it's a fantastic idea. I mean, it's a fantastic idea. The only thing that I would 
probably do with that is, you know, pop the, when I was ready to fly after letting it sit, would be to pop the backing plate off and just make sure and drain. If there was anything that had puddled or pooled there to drain that out before yeah, I tried to fire it. Yeah, maybe pull the glow plug out too. And yeah, if you a got a bunch times, in there, you could potentially kind of run the risk of, you know, maybe a hydro lock. Oh, uh, so that stuff doesn't burn out, I guess is what you're telling me. It'll burn out, but on those first couple strokes before it fires, you could potentially... Jump I mean, it's it just up. like flooding the motor. And, but if then you've again, got a bunch in there. Yeah, if you've got a bunch in there. So don't yeah. pour like a cup in there, is what you're saying. Well, if you're gonna, there's... I don't think that'd actually be bad at all, as long as you drain it out. How much do you put in, Dan? Um, I actually use like a 10cc syringe, and I probably use 5ccs. Oh, okay. So not too much. Not very much. And then when you start it up, you so, just refuel uh, the thing and fire it up and it's ready to go. Yeah, I, I don't even, I just let it cycle through. You know, I, I put it in, I, I pull the back plate, slap it in there, put the back plate back on. And then while the motor's still upside down, I just put the starter wand in there and just turn it over like two or three times uh, just to get things circulated through. And then I just let it sit. I, and I've never worried about draining it. Um. Well, if you're not putting that much in, then it really wouldn't be an issue. But, you know, I, Dan, I think that uh, that actually makes me really feel guilty for not. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. You just made me feel guilty. <laughs> you know, well, not that's worthy that. of a tech tip, Dan. Well, you know, here's, well, you know, here's the thing, too, though, guys. I mean, I, I, I know you guys live in a, in a humid climate, um, but I think our environment here is a little more harsh on these metal parts because it is. I try to keep my trailer um, just above freezing. I have a heater in there, and but but sometimes that just doesn't work. Um, it either becomes I'd look at my power bill going, Jesus Christ, those helicopters can sit in cold for Christ's sake, you know, or, or whatever. It, it, it just gets to be below freezing. So that constant cycling of freezing and is just not good on anything. Um, so I've just always been a little extra wary of it. I know you guys don't really get i mean you guys don't really get below freezing do you often not not it's just cold not as often as you guys i don't i think it's the big thing you is what you hit on right there where are they stored at and i do have to watch for moisture because my my hobby room is uh my basement and during this rainy season (laughs) jesse knows there's kind of a constant weep and little trail of water that runs down to the drain in the basement so if i warm up you know i usually keep the basement perfectly usable all the time it is heated but yeah you can really get into that kind of sauna effect going on down there and dan you've just you've made me feel guilty for not doing that because as as an automotive technician i can't tell you any reason why that wouldn't be extremely effective what can i say i I got nothing dude i got no no rebuttal to that i'm perhaps the smartest individual you'll ever meet I don't know if you know that yet or not, but I don't know that yet. But <laughs> <laughs> learning slowly. <laughs> you were, that was not the answer I was expecting. I'm not gonna no, lie. Sorry. God damn. Hey, he said I'm gonna, he's I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna deduct your paycheck 25 percent this week. Yes. Damn. <laughs> I think that what that means if I do that, you're actually gonna have to send me a check. If I deduct. Yeah. It's weird. It's sometimes you have to watch us, you know, quote unquote technicians because. What we what we recommend, yet what we actually do ourselves, oh, um, dude, is is pretty sketchy. I know Justin has experience with this, and any of you listeners out there who 
maybe are nurses or maybe married to a nurse or have a nurse in the family, they'll be the first ones to tell you what you're doing wrong when it comes to your health. But, uh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It's not necessarily yep. a practice what you preach. <laughs> yeah. Do as exactly. I say, not as I do, right? It, it's the only time of the year, though, that I will say I finally put my batteries into storage mode. There we go. Yeah, I know. I do. I do change one thing, and I will make sure that they are. I will not keep them charged because I consistently go, you know, a full week to two weeks. All right, that's another. That's a great segue into other things to consider. Personally, now that I don't have any electrics in the fleet, I don't worry about that a lot. Uh, you know, now that I don't have the electrics in my fleet, I don't have to be too. I, I dude. That's what I hated about electrics. I hated dealing with the batteries. I'm resentful of the fact that I still have to deal with them with my nitros uh, in the limited capacity in which I do, but we all have to deal with batteries. Uh, you know what's weird, though? Now that you bring that up, why are we so, like, why do we, and I, I'm completely, geez, man, I'm horrible about this, and it just dawned on me, why am I? Why do I feel that not maintaining my receiver packs is acceptable, yet I feel <laughs> that I have to maintain my flight packs? Because really, if you have a cell jag off or go bad because of lack of maintenance on it... Doesn't matter if it's a two-cell or a six-cell? It, it It's going to be catastrophic if it's a well, receiver pack. I'll give you an... I'll, let, me, let me help you understand that, Nick. If you're holding an atomic bomb in one hand and a firecracker in the other, which one are you going to be more afraid of? Well, I'm I'm less intimidated by the fire, but the crash that could happen. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a uh, losing motor power, losing your servos and receiver and everything. Well, yeah. doesn't it come down to the fact that it's it's the difference in in monetary investment when you look at a receiver Probably. pack that you can buy for ten bucks, and then yeah. you look at a twelve S set of uh, packs that are one hundred and fifty or two hundred. Dude, that's not it for me at all. No, it. it totally comes down to the fact that these this 12 cell pack of batteries just i just assume one of these days i'm going to wake up look outside and my trailer's going to be a frame you know it's just going to be burnt down burnt and to a crisp there's, all you're going to see is four rims and a and a and a metal frame <laughs> you know what i mean that's yeah, what scares a, me about batteries. A two-cell pack can still definitely I, yeah, do it. Yeah, I, I get that. I do. I, I and I I agree completely. In fact, here's something I noticed, um, and this is scary. I had. Do you guys remember the old Kong packs? Oh, yep. the Kong oh, sausage, yeah. dude. <laughs> so yep. I I had two of those packs, and um, I disposed of one. Thought I disposed of the other, and I've got a room in the house that is kind of a storage room where I keep like boxes and and stuff used to be my uh, hobby room before I moved everything out into the trailer and the cats will go in there and they like to sleep up on top of the tall boxes and I was in that room the other day and I'm looking just right there in the corner was this Kong battery like just there and for two years and two things come to mind God what would happen if my kid because it's got the little dongly Little, you know, if they walk by it and their foot hit, hits the balance thing and it flips back and forth once or twice, and you know how cats are. Oh, something to play with. Snap. <laughs> that would suck, right? And then also on top of that, uh, but but 
But uh, you, I guarantee you, my point was, I guarantee you, you would you would not find a six cell pack laying around haphazardly. And I don't, I don't get, I don't understand why do we treat the two cell receiver packs so much different? I think it's, I think Justin hit it right on the money. Yeah. Just cost. We view them as cheap. I mean, disposable, eh, whatever. If it dies, it's only 15 bucks, but we don't really yeah. think of the repercussions of it. Uh, I guess. I mean, I can, well, I can but, concede to that, but I just don't, in my mind, a two cell pack doesn't feel as dangerous as a six cell pack as, as illogical and, crazy as that sounds i mean that is yeah that is fair there's more energy stored in one in the six cell pack than there's in the two cell but if they go up they go up it doesn't matter if if it's a two cell or six cell they shoot out of flame whatever's in its way is going to get burnt Mm -hmm. yep um so anyway back to kind of the the maintenance aspect of this we uh we deal with these batteries and um of course you guys have these big batteries and nick mentioned he put them on storage charge and let's talk a little bit about storage charge now the idea behind keeping a battery at a storage charge is is the fluctuation of temperature am i correct in that because if the temperature starts to rise the if you keep it charged at a higher voltage you might run out of headroom for the voltage that's inside that battery is that correct I think it has more to, uh, uh, for the record, I'm not sure. That's a good question, Dan. But I think it has more to do with the effect of long-term storage at full voltage on the capacity of the pack. Yeah. Because at voltage, it there's more energy stored, and that has a tendency to degrade the quality of the lithium polymer cells. Well, and so if you left it at 4.2 per cell for six months or a year, you may lose 10 or 15 or 20% of the capacity. Yeah, essentially you're damaging the chemistry. Yes, exactly. Right. And same thing goes when you have it at a low cell. And I can't remember who was telling me, I believe it was Dave from Aggressive. Was I think maybe he was just trying to present it in a way that was less technical and more layman term, um, kind of trying to ex- explain maybe in uh, maybe exaggerating a little bit just to kind of get the point across. But the way he explained it was, is um, if you store a battery to, at a too high a voltage, say 4.2 per cell, and the temperature rises, um, it'll cause, it'll damage the chemistry um, because there's no headroom for fluctuation. Same thing happens if it's too low. It'll drop below um, the recommended um, low voltage and, again, cause damage. So storage charge, what what are we looking at here? 3.8 per cell? 3.7? Yeah, 3.8 to 3.9 is what I usually go that's by. That's what I do as well. And that's roughly 50%, right? Do you know? I don't know. Um, I, I think it might be just a touch more. I think that might be. It's it's Yeah, it's probably closer to 60 or 70%. percent discharged. So tell me this, rocket scientist. Is it... Um, and of course, I mean Justin. For those of you who don't know who I'm talking about, yeah, yeah. I knew you weren't that flattery. <laughs> <laughs> is is that that nominal voltage of 3.8 or 3.9, wherever you decide to set it at? Is that just the the least volatile of states for that battery? And is that why that's optimal? I think that's the case. Yeah, and actually, after you mentioned what uh, Dave at Progressive said, that that does make sense. You want to find a middle ground where any extreme temperature fluctuations, or or quite frankly, any chemistry fluctuations in general, don't push you over the edge on either end. 
this leads to another uh, question is, uh, you say you, you guys say storage charge. Let's say it's the weather report says it's going to be beautiful tomorrow. You start, you charge your batteries in, in anticipation, wake up and it's horrible. How long will you let your batteries set before you decide to put them back on storage charge? Ooh, this is, this is a controversial one. I'll throw mine out there because some people may be surprised. I'll go like two weeks, week, two weeks. Yeah. That's where I'm charge. at. Yeah. yeah and I'll, that's so I'm, I'm a little, I'll do it a little sooner. I'll wait through that weekend and then, you know, Sunday afternoon, I'll throw mine back at a storage charge. If that was a Friday night that I charged them up. So where do you think the uh, line is? Because uh, I remember we had a conversation with Lucian Miller, and we all, you guys all know Lucian Miller from Innovative Designs. Yeah, he told us um, he told us two weeks is probably about as long as you want to go. Um, do you guys feel that there's a um, there's at what point have you done damage to your cells? There's no is there there's no real definite way or answer to that I assume. But in your guys' opinion, how long is too long? Ooh. Let's say you find two, you know, you I'll say two weeks. So what happens? Something happens. You have to leave town and you don't have time to do that. You come back two weeks later. Are your batteries damaged? Damaged? Well, probably not. Lower damaged capacity, or degraded. probably. Yeah. Damaged or degraded. It's two different stories. Damage would be like one, one cell. The voltage is just way off, you know, and it's not that that's damaged, but degraded. Is kind of a different story. That just means you know the pack's not going to quite put out what it what it had prior to that. So what we're looking at here is not necessarily damaging cells, but we're looking at maybe a shortened battery life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or yeah, or less overall capacity. I mean, I I have actually done what you're saying there, Dan. Where I've I've you know I had all the good intentions of flying it within the next week or so. Something comes up, I forget, or I can't get back to it, and a month and a half or two goes by, and oh, it's still at full charge. When you go back and look at that pack, and I've done this several times just to see because I was curious, what you'll find is that you start to lose on the order of you know tens of millivolts from each cell. So where you may have been charged at 4.19 or 4.2 per cell, you're now down at 4.12 or 4.13. And then when you charge it back up, you may not be able to support greater than, a, say, a 4.17 or 1.8 per cell charge. And so you're you're very slowly losing capacity. Ah, but so, Justin, does the does the battery start degrading as soon? Because, I mean, we all threw two weeks out there as a, you know, storage charge before two weeks. Does the battery start degrading, though, as soon as it is fully charged or is it? It does that's the a, degrading, does the rate at which it's degrading increase after you go past that, whatever that time period really is, good. or is that a pretty constant? That's thing? a really good question, and I do not have an answer for you. That's a that's likely a chemistry thing, and I'm not well-versed in battery chemistry. My guess would be it is a, it's a, it's an accumulated time thing. So the longer it sits, the more it degrades. In a sense, yeah, it probably is degrading just sitting at full charge for a day or two. But the amount that it degrades is so minuscule, you just yeah, don't see it. It's a compound thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine batteries are consumable after all, so they're probably degrading from the moment they're made. Yeah, I would, I would say yeah, that's definitely. probably very fair to say. 
All right, so let's move on from batteries. I mean, we we could you could do a whole two weeks on batteries because everybody has opinions and and uh, some people say they have the right answers, but uh, I think for the most part, dealing with batteries just boils down to a little bit of common sense and you know handle them wisely because they're And you know what, Nick? If I puff one more set of lipos, I think I'm going to go insane. Dude, well, you're telling me that you're not running Gen Z's packs? Ever since I started running them, man, I'm getting over 200 cycles on these sets of packs. If you're still puffing them, you need to get up to speed. I think I'm going to go check those out and get myself a set right now. So there it is, guys. If you want a reliable set of packs at a fair price, Gen Z's batteries. You can find them at hobbyparts.com. Let's move on to airframe stuff. Um, now, for me, guys, I take advantage of the winter downtime. Um, I actually go through all my helicopters, top to bottom, at some point in the winter. I don't. I don't like to do it. I don't like to just say, "Okay, tomorrow I'm going to go through and tear down a 700 completely and check all the bearings and check everything and replace what needs to be replaced." It generally ends up being an ongoing project because. Um, in the wintertime, I fly mainly small helicopters indoors. Do you guys do similar things like that? Is that where you take advantage? You know, for those of us who are flying up here, you know, we've got this downtime. For those of you warm weather dicks, you know, it's pretty much year round for you guys. So you have to probably take a different approach. But is that what you guys do as well? Do you, or do you guys do something similar to that? Oh, yeah, I do. But then again, I have a, a fair amount of aligned helicopters. So it's a great opportunity to relink everything. <laughs> yeah yeah that that you put off you know you do that one link at a time all <laughs> all summer <laughs> and then and then at the end it's just kind of like oh god i just this whole thing really needs to be done but yeah, yeah no i do it not i'll admit i really don't do near as much um on the electric as i do the nitro but i definitely will take um the winter opportunity for the nitro and i do tear them completely down and check everything I clean think, them. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, just to clean. Yeah, them that's the thing for the nitro, especially. It, it's an opportunity to take everything apart and get all the little nooks and crannies cleaned out. It, I got to be honest. During the flying season, other than maybe a quick pre-flight check or in cases of a crash, I I do very little maintenance. Um, I kind of rely on the winter time to. Uh, I mean, unless something you know shows itself, obviously, like maybe a bad bearing or. Or something pops up, but a lot of times those bearings just—I just have to uh, rely on the fact that in the winter time I'll get a chance to look at them and replace them as needed. It just mm-hmm. makes—it just makes sense to me. I don't—I'm not. I used to be one of those guys. I used to love to just go out there and sit and wrench on those helicopters all day long. Oh, I just—I can't hardly. I don't like it as much as I used to. That's for sure. <laughs> I've adopted a new method this yeah? year. Yeah, crash them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Crash them so much that you don't have to maintain them. God, this Forced year, maintenance. just dude. Yeah, I went, man. Those first what three years of flying, it was like crashing was not my thing, which is pretty. I mean, I'm I'm actually quite happy and grateful for. I was not one of those crashers when I learned to fly, and I pushed hard. Um, 
but I didn't. This last year, oh my God. <laughs> it was just like, I felt like I couldn't catch a break. I was putting them in just left and right. Right. So this year, I really haven't had to worry worry about it as much. But, I mean, crashing aside, for me, the the there are a couple of things that I've got on my list that I usually look at over the winter. One is uh, de-rusting some of the frame screws because as you mentioned dan if you live in a moist environment and depending on where you store your helis i store mine in the garage they'll sit there and they will start to rust um and and that one yeah you can you can probably just take a couple of days you go through one frame side you clean them up go to the next frame side later um no big deal the other thing is plastic links on the balls Mm -hmm. replacing the full set um, this one's kind of a funny one. It is uh, recleaning and uh, loctiting all of the metal balls, especially like on the swash plate, um, because I've seen those. Ha- I've I've had situations in which those have come loose, and I do check as a matter of sort of process during the flying season. But in general, um, I want to make sure I've got a good, nice, fresh coat of Loctite on those for when I get started the next year. And then the fourth one is thrust bearing greases or greasing rather yep. in the head and tail. Crash them. Yeah. <laughs> that, that'll solve that problem. <laughs> that, brings up, that brings up a good point. It's something that I don't know that ever really gets talked about, uh, Justin. You mentioned cleaning the, the balls for the ball links on the swash up to the grips or wherever. I, I can't help but imagine that maybe even during the summer, once a week or so, to pop those links off and, and clean, wipe those balls off uh, might be a good idea. <laughs> I was I was waiting for it. I, I I gave you a second. I gave you a little bit of a pause, but uh, I did, dude, I, <laughs> no I one tried. Did. I tried so hard. I was <laughs> just like I'm hovering over my mute button on the mic, like, dude, you're gonna have to mute. It. Oh, just let it go. <laughs> Do you suppose that uh, doing the, I, I don't ever do it, and I don't know if anybody else does, or even if it's that important, but uh, making sure that uh, you're keeping any type of small debris out of there seems to me like it would act as a an agent to, to kind of maybe loosen your links up a little bit. Uh, Sam yeah, and, and actually, you know, I've, I've heard a couple of people before um, on various forums talking about, like, people who live down in Arizona or in the California desert where they fly in dusty areas, you, you get that fine dust in between the plastic link and the metal ball and over hundreds of flights, uh, you can start wearing down. I mean, mostly on the plastic, but start wearing down on the metal as well. In Pullman, <laughs> it can be pretty dusty. And I found myself replacing like, main bearings like every 80 to 100 flights because they'll just get notchy just from dust working their way in there and stuff so that can definitely be a problem that's actually a, that's actually a good a good thing to add to your normal fl- i'm going to start doing that because i you know i just recently uh i was having some problems with the 700 making this horrible sound and um we went over a few things and um eventually i just started playing with the links and noticing that there's a tremendous amount of slop in all the links Went ahead and uh, did that, replaced the links, and um, and everything was back to normal. I suppose that's a good that'd be a good pro- good thing to add into your. Although we hate to do it, your maintenance routine, and it is 
it is very important on, and I'm not trying to pick on a line at all, but it's the only models that I've had that uh, the plastic ball link and the actual ball seems to almost wear evenly for me. Yeah. I mean, they were, and on the nitro, it's way, it's way worse on the nitro. And that probably goes to that whole uh, getting gunk yeah. and dirt and stuff in there. Yeah. Um, my nitro links wear significantly faster. So you actually replace the metal balls every single time. Wow. Yeah. The tail ones will be, uh, you can, you can, I swear that the ones on the tail rod, um, the ball actually wears a lot faster than the plastic link does that's because you yeah. never clean your helicopter i do too <laughs> <laughs> sometimes sometimes when he's rebuilding it when he's rebuilding yeah, absolutely. it absolutely crashed it when the frames are apart so let's move on to uh this is i get this question a lot especially from a couple of the guys in my my club uh we're, we were talking about bearings a bit ago and um let's talk about the bearings in the motor electric motors how often I've had some guys say, you know, I've never, ever, you know, put oil in those bearings. And then you see other guys saying, well, it says right here, you're supposed to do it every 15 flights. What's the deal? What do you guys do on that? I've had, I've had mixed experience with this. I used to get into um, lubing the bearings once every 10 or 20 flights never had a problem with the motors that were lubed that way. And then on a couple, I got lazy and didn't never had a problem with any motors that I didn't lube. So I, you know, I think it certainly can't hurt. Um, it can only do good or do nothing, but you know, I, I gotta, I, I, I hate to take exception with what you just said, but I can't help but wonder if maybe it, it can hurt. Just maybe well, a little if you do overdo it. Because okay. aren't, you, aren't you attracting uh, the opportunity for particles to... No, that's a really good point, Dan. And I, I'm not sure if my statement's going to be the same as what you were just going for. But if I, what I was going to say is, can you overdo it? Maybe, maybe not. But you certainly can do it wrong if you put the wrong grease in. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this guy, big learning experience. <laughs> Remember this one, Justin? Yep. Well, we put, went over this. You put CA oh. in there instead of... Uh... No, 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 no. So this was <laughs> like, okay, I went through uh, with my second whiplash, uh, electric, a nightmare of a time, wiping out pinion support bearings. I mean, dude, it was like every 10 flights, they were gone. And what we had figured out <laughs> was... Oddly enough, I was over lubing it. And then on top of that, lubing it with the incorrect stuff. And, and it's all, it's all RPM dependent. So like, and you don't really think about that because you just think of on your helicopter, okay, everything's spinning fast, right? right. Uh, not the case at all. Like main bearings, uh, triflow works great on main bearings. Because you're looking at what, maybe up to say 2,200, even on the smaller stuff up to, you know, 3,000 or whatever yeah. RPM. So that that's that works great. And Tail, just to clarify, Nick, when you say tri-flow, you're talking about the silicone lubricant. Yeah, the generic. Like the, the thicker sort of 
Yep, black bottle. Yep. Yep, that stuff. Now you go back to the tail. Okay, so now we've now we've gone up a lot more. Now we're talking nine, ten thousand RPM. Yep. So you, you I actually do believe you have to be a lot more sparing. And for me, that is the point where I switch lubes. The tail output shaft, nah, kinda. But anytime I get into a bearing that's going to be spinning over, you know, that seven, eight thousand RPM mark, I will switch over to something a lot lighter that has a lot more lubricity in it, um, aka like the Scorpion motor oil. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that's what I was doing on my whiplash was I was actually just sticking the old triflow nozzle down in that pinion support bearing and just, you know, just laying that stuff in there. Do that again. And, do that again. For uh, me. I, can't, I can't do it when you're laughing. <laughs> but, you know, and then it was, the bearings were going out. So, so what's human nature? Well, if it wiped out a bearing and I put X amount in, then it's not lubed enough and I need to put more in. So then I was just hosing it down every flight and it made it even worse and worse. And what was happening is electric motor, now you're talking 18,000, 20,000 RPM. Right. That or triflow higher. Or higher. That triflow is strictly just too thick. So it was creating too much resistance inside the actual bearing rollers where it shouldn't be. And then it was spinning the inner race of the bearing. Um, it, it was spinning the inner race of the bearing on the pinion because there was actually less friction there. So once I quit doing that and I just put a little teeny bit of like blue Loctite on the pinion when I dropped it down in there to get it to bite on that inner race of the bearing. Right. And then and then I didn't lube it for like 20 flights. Hey, what do you know? It was still fine. And then when I did, I just used a little bit of that, that, that motor, um, not motor oil like motor oil, motor oil, but electric motor oil and just very, very sparingly put any in there. Never had a problem. I mean, 100 flights, not an issue there. So that was a case where over-oiling was, I was double screwing it up. Over-oiling it and the wrong kind. That's a good point. And let me, let me I know this is not something that we can easily describe uh, in this format. But the big question that I get sometimes too is, Exactly how do you oil it? Do you have to take the whole motor out uh, and then take the can off of it and all that stuff? Or can you just get an applicator and do you only, you can only, can you get all the bearings, the two bearings that you need to get? Just, yes. You don't have yes. to take the motor out, right? No, you do have to do the little right side up, upside down with the heli song and dance, spin it, you know, spin the motor can, flip the whole heli upside down and right. then let them spin it, let it work its way in. But just don't, if you, if you are going to oil them and, and I've had the exact same experience that Justin has, man, I have uh, my Scorpion motors. I think I've, I have oiled them and I've had great luck doing it that way uh, because they, again, because they said to, and then my aligned motors, because uh, I don't know why, just sheer laziness. I haven't, and I haven't had a problem with them either. Yeah. So uh, that's a tough one. Do you guys use upgraded bearings in your motors? Like nope. the ABEX or anything like that? I stick um, with the bearings that the motor comes with. Yeah, yes. Me too. Yeah. Okay. 
So are there any other issues you guys can think about uh, when it comes to maintenance? And I'm not talking just heli stuff, too. Let's um, let's consider also our flight support equipment for those um, those of us. Well, not. Ooh, I, I have a heli one okay. quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I know that Jesse's has experienced this recently this summer. We saw it. It was pretty cool. Um, belts. Ah, yeah. Uh, belts. This is the time of year, everyone. And, and I know most of the people that live in the cold, cold weather areas, they already know this. Either hopefully they didn't find out the hard way. <laughs> um, silicone on the belts. A spray silicone. Do it. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Gotta, gotta do it. What happens uh, if you don't? Static. And you get that whole Van de Graaff effect going on, and there's a lot more potential for static. Now, silicone does not solve it. It's not going to prevent it ultimately. Um, Have your tail booms grounded. Yes, ground your tail booms. Ground <laughs> your tail booms. Man, I, I, and, and don't think, because I know of two helicopters... And I'm not going to get too brand specific, but if you have a helicopter that has Delrin torque tube gears, you are still susceptible to this. Whoop, that's a discussion for another uh, day. Wait, so, so I've heard this before. Ground your torque tube gears. And I've seen, I guess, some examples. Is that something? Can you get, how, what do we, what do we got to do to ground our torque tubes? Most of the time. Just because of sheer design, you end up not having to. Like it's grounded, and you didn't even you didn't even notice it. It's a like, belt thing. It's mostly a belt thing. I've the, yeah. the instances with torque tubes are like few and far between. But for like, it's usually the V bar users that get it. They'll get lots of like checks and errors in there, and, and they just cannot figure it out. Not that it particularly causes a problem, but they're getting a lot of errors in their logs. Don't think that just because you have a torque tube, you're you're immune to it. Usually, it doesn't allow it to build up enough to to give a, a large enough static hit to cause a problem, and you might not ever even. So know. let's kind of go, take that down to a little more basic level. What what it does is it builds up the static and it causes RF in, interference, right? I'll let Justin run with this one. He would be the one. Basically, when you spin your, I'm going to use the belt because that's really the best example. Everyone's seen a Van de Graaff generator when you were in school or seen a video of it. You put your hand on the ball, you turn the motor on, and your hair stands up, right? Right. Um, basically, there's a belt in there. It's exactly the same as our our helicopters. And the way that the helicopter is designed uh, there are portions of the heli that are electrically isolated. Okay, well, what does that mean? It means that there's not a good path for electricity or electrical charge to get from, say, the tail case to the airframe. Um, and so what happens is as you run that belt at these high speeds, it generates a charge that accumulates in the tail case and when the charge gets great enough, it will actually discharge. And when it discharges, it discharges to um, the nearest uh, low resistance path, which is a receiver, a satellite, other sensitive electronic equipment. It can damage the equipment. It can cause there to be, as, as Nick said in the V-Bar log, for those of you who have seen it, um, certain errors. They call it a checksum error, but... Uh, it can affect every system differently. And so the idea is to ground your from your tail case to your boom, from your boom to your airframe, 
And then some people don't do this last step. I do. Um, I flew logos. It's nothing against logos. They're great helis, but you have to ground the tail boom. You ground then from the airframe or the tail boom to sometimes people will do it to the motor mount. Um, yeah. the, the best place to do it is to the negative lead of your uh, ESC uh, battery side because that's a large reservoir for, for uh, charge or for discharging that, uh, that electricity into. That sounds complicated. I mean, is it... Um... It's, it sounds like it. But it's really not that bad. I mean, it can it's be not. as simple as it, it can seriously be as simple as taking some sand. If you have like a metal tail case and your torque tube slides or I mean, excuse me, your tail boom slides into like metal boom blocks. Mm -hmm. It can be as simple as just sanding the ends of your boom, taking yep. that, that, that paint off the end of the boom. Because now you've created a the path back. all the yeah. way from the back, all the way to the front. And when you start getting into plastic uh, plastic boom blocks and plastic type tail case. That's where it gets tricky. And that's why logos, are, you know, are, are the ones with the, the most amount of problems because they've got the most plastic on. Yeah. Them. They're all plastic. Yeah. So, and that's why a lot of helicopters, you, it, it'll have a belt. People, you know, people will say, Oh, well like this helicopter, you don't need to do it on because they're immune to it. No, nothing with a belt is immune to it. It's just that that particular design might have, maybe it's got a set screw that pins the boom. Well, right. that set screw goes through a metal block that then just slightly digs through that yep. paint on the boom. And there you go. It, it did it and you didn't have to do it. That's all it takes. So let me, let me try to, just so it's clear in my head, because I'm dense. So we'll take the helicopter and we'll separate it into three isolated parts. The tail box, the boom, and the frame. So... Basically, I, if I understand it right, you're telling me that each of these three parts have an electric potential. And when you are building um, the potential up in one part, it starts to, the, the difference starts to get not equal and it tries to equal itself out. So it jumps over to another part when the time's right. Yeah, that's, that's the basic idea. You can think about it as the tail case is one separate portion that gets charged. And the airframe or the part where the belt uh, attaches to in the main drivetrain is the other portion. And it's separate, separated by this really long uh, painted insulating tail boom. Okay, right, right. Okay, and so now you've got a situation where the belt itself moves charge um, in different directions. One charge up to the, uh, the, tail, or the tail case, say positive. And the opposite charge on the on the airframe and negative, and the the difference in charge between the two or the voltage can grow to significant levels. We're talking hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of volts. And then when yeah. it gets to the point where uh, the tail boom can't hold that voltage off anymore, it will discharge. Right. And it and when it discharges, it's going to find the path of least resistance. Right. And when you've got these antennae sticking out here or electrical wires, that sort of a thing, that's one of the things you've got to be worried about. Right. And, yeah, and when you ground it, you just never give it a chance to charge. Never yeah, builds. the charges are constantly being exhausted through that grounded link to the airframe. Is it just, could it be as simple as just put, I mean, because, you, you know, you said 
and we're probably spending way too much time on this, but I, I've always just kind of struggled with this. So you've got, can you just put like a piece of copper wire up against the boom and run it to the frame? <laughs> you yeah. sand the paint off. That's exactly what you do. Like, oh, well, from my experience with the compass helis, they actually include a kit to ground the boom because the 6HV and 7HV are both belted helis. And that's literally what it tells you to do in the manual. Sand some paint off the boom zip tie a wire to it and run it up to the motor mount huh. that's it. i mean yeah, there you go it's that's that it right there yeah. grounded the boom's grounded problem right. solved yep yeah. yep and that's exactly how you do it on the logos or how you would do it on uh on another heli that you were concerned with you know maybe what we'll do is we'll see if we can uh we'll do a tech tip on the website uh, on grounding booms uh to prevent the static and we'll see if we can't round up a, bu- a bunch of different pictures um, of different helis and kind of incorporate them into all one tech tip just to see all the different methods. I mean, man, back in the day, people got like so involved with this, with that copper, little thin copper tape that you could get. Yeah, and they I remember were like, that. Oh, dude, the, the belted T-Rex 500, yeah. I guess was just like, that thing was like, it, it was just like one big uh, receiver killer. and then flying with fm and everything these guys were just like it it was just like this flying fireball of static (laughs) so the they got pretty creative with the methods but we'll we'll see if we can't round that up for you guys but the belt what started this was don't forget about the belt just jesse yeah what happens when you put a couple (laughs) lots of flights on your belt the belt breaks in flight. That happened at Othello, didn't it? <laughs> and then it shoots out the front and gets wrapped around the main blades and yes. completely locks everything up as your heli. <laughs> yeah. And just to be clear, that has nothing to do with whether Jesse's heli was grounded or not. No, that was no, uh, that's you just fly too so much and don't great. crash enough. That's what it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a, that was a that was a, a maintenance oversight. Yeah. Well, because a lot of times we skip the belt that, I mean, hey, who's going to lie? That's a great advantage to a belted heli is that you don't have, usually you don't have to replace it in a crash. So a lot of times you can really lose, you know, lose sight of even if you crash five times all year, you don't really think about it that, wow, I've got a couple hundred flights on this belt. Then it's all just buzzing along just fine. All of a sudden the belt goes shooting out. Do you guys remember when that big debate about which was better, Tartuber belts used to just just be everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so always on the torque tube side. And, and the reason that was is because I started on a torque tube helicopter. So, of course, they had to be the best, right? I mean, that was the best because that's what I started on. Yeah. Now, I really don't know. I um, I, I, just, I still don't particularly care for belted helicopters, but that there's no logical reason for that. That's a whole nother. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic. Yeah. yeah. So let's keep with this. Uh, you know, let's talk a little bit uh, before we wrap up here about your flight equipment and uh, yeah, yeah. various little tools and, you know, you, you know, storing your fuel if you're not going to be using it, those kind of things. Um, you know, of course, obviously, a lot of our little tools have batteries in them, but not so much batteries that we have to worry about, uh, except for maybe your radio. Uh, what do you do? You guys do anything special? Do you take that battery out of the radio and uh, just kind of let it sit alongside, or you just keep it in there the whole winter long, or what do you do there? 
I leave it in there. Yeah, well, you guys I, use in fact, it. Before you, you mentioned that, I didn't even. I've never even thought about that. Well, <laughs> that, that, that's how lazy I am. But you guys use regard. Phoenix, though, right? So you guys are using oh, yeah. your radios all year. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. <sighs> I guess I have to get Phoenix. <laughs> you said you. This is like the third episode in a row now. You've said that. I well, remember I. I just wanted to, for the record, say that my opinion can be bought. You know, if uh, the people are Phoenix are listening and they want me to have a positive opinion, I'm kidding, oh guys. God, I'm, kidding. So I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Okay, I'm kidding. No, I'm not. I'm not really kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. So anyway, moving on. What else do you guys do? Uh, I mean, tools are tools. They're not, you know, other than I got one. What do you got? Generators. For those oh, of us who are electric, primarily electric flyers yeah. or, or fly big electrics, yeah, what do you do when you are not going to be using your Honda or Yamaha, or whatever your favorite brand of generator over the winter? Stay um, Bill. Stay Bill. I Stay am Bill. so bad about that, you guys. Oh, dude. And I have rebuilt more friends, freaking generator carburetors. I know. I do. Oh, it. I yeah. have to have it done every spring. I swear to God. I take it into the. I take my generator in every the beginning of every year, so they can go through it. And um, uh, and the guy says so. Down at the Yamaha shop. So, I see you left your fuel in it last year. <laughs> yep. He's like, yeah. okay. So that that's a good point. Do you leave the fuel in it? Because I'll I'll tell you what I do, and it may be wrong. Um, I change the oil. And I run it maybe once or twice a month for fifteen or twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. That's How it. long is too long to not, you know, not put any stable in the fuel and just let it sit? I mean, how? What? What time frame are we it's, looking at there? You know, I do it over a couple months, but realistically, okay. it's not. It's usually not the fuel varnishing that's that bad over the winter. I mean, fuel, you know, it, you're looking at six months before it starts to really transform into that varnish stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big thing is, and this is my, my like, if you're going to do anything, um, put a little teaspoon of sugar. Heat. It, no. <laughs> oh, my, bad. God. my bad, my bad. <laughs> my bad. Good, good, good track, good track. Uh, maybe a little bit of a teaspoon of heat, which is, or go down to your local drugstore and get some isopropyl alcohol. Um, just just a little bit of that, which will, um, it's basically like a, a dryer for any moisture that's in, in the tank. Right. Because I don't know about you guys, I'm horrible about leaving mine in the back of the truck. And it never rains up here, so God knows it never sits in the rain. <laughs> but um, I will get uh, condensation and actually water in the fuel tank, just kind of mixed throughout the year. So I will throw a little bit of that in. And then seafoam is fantastic stuff. It is magical stuff. <laughs> it's magical stuff. <laughs> it really stuff. is. Just a little teaspoon in every, I mean, guy, every four, five, six tanks. I do is, three because I, I've had repeating problems with my, the carburetor on my Honda gumming yeah. up and just not it will make not the running good. So every three three tanks, oh, I just yeah. put a teaspoon or a tablespoon what of seafoam sea foam in there. It's a it's kind of like a it's a cleaning agent. It's same concept of like a, you know an injection cleaner oh, type so carburetor cleaner type Don, stuff. Don doesn't work. No oh. dish soap antibacterial. <laughs> yeah, no, no dish soap, but it will really keep that uh, that buildup. You know, the carburetors are 
full of tiny little jets. And the number one symptom that you get, just so everyone knows what I'm talking about and how do you know, idle problems. Mm. And in like the Honda generators, it's issues in eco mode. So when you're running the eco throttle, so does where it just not run smooth or what? It'll it doesn't run smooth. Like it's gonna it'll start out and shut off. Yeah, when it's idling. Oh, dude, I, yeah. I need to send my generator to you. And you've well, had problems with this, Jesse, because you and I have the same generator. And yeah. I'll be honest with you, I've abused the crap out of this thing. And yeah, but you bought just most of my problems like right when I bought mine used, the guy, but the guy only put like 15 hours on it or something. So pretty much brand new. But about four months after of using it i started to notice this where it literally when idling eco mode just you know virtually no load on it it literally sounded like it was just gonna stall out and shut off and wow th- at that point it was so bad i actually tore the whole carb down and cleaned everything out and um now i haven't had a problem since since i've been using the seafoam but yeah that that was a huge problem that i had yeah there's a there's a jet in the carburetor and I'm, i won't get into it too much but it's it's basically kind of called your pilot jet or your your low-end jet. And it, it is, without question, the smallest orifice inside there. And it's the number one that gets plugged up. It'll run fine wide open because mm-hmm. you transfer into the main jet, which is a lot bigger, and that those don't ever clog up with junk. But that mm-hmm. pilot one is the first one to get clogged up. And uh, just a little bit of seafoam in there. I also do a little bit of a weird thing. Um, I don't... Some people will change their oil at the end of the season. Then they just can, you know, they'll do all this, change the oil at the end of the season, then fire it up in the spring. Everything's good to go. That's not the best thing to do. It's better to change the oil in the spring right before you use it. Yeah. You know, in I the do manual, that. at least for the Honda, I know it says like every 150 hours to change the oil. I was going to say, so I, um, I, cha- I change my oil like three, four times. I change, I change year. mine every about 100 hours. Yeah. Uh, you know, estimated 100 hours. Yeah. Um. Back when I was driving tour buses, of course, we had those big uh, 25K watt diesel generators, and those had to be changed every 100 hours. So I just figured, well, good for them. It's probably good for me as well. Yep. Yeah, you, there you, you go. can't you can't hurt it, changing it too much. That's for sure. And that, I mean, when you're talking about like on these smaller generators, you know, less than a quart. Yeah. Oh, I think you uh, can get three oil changes out of a quart on the... <laughs> on the smaller ones, so yeah, the you, cost you really isn't a factor. Can't lose there. So, so let me take tell you, care of them. Let me tell you what I do. Uh, I don't. I don't do anything with the fuel. Um, towards what I do do is I shut. Uh, I shut you said doo doo again. I said it again. Can you believe <laughs> three it? episodes in a row? Oh my god! <laughs> what I do 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 is uh, I shut the fuel off, and then I run it dry. Oh, and you have problems every year, don't you? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I would. It I, does, would it, I do not do that. It does. I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Look, I took it in uh, last spring, right before Othello, and I got cussed out for not having clean oil in it. So this year, I was really con- conscious about that, and I changed the oil. I think, uh, oh gosh, every uh, probably four times over the summer and um but it it has a weird idle sound to it i'm not gonna lie it's i don't know if it's a surging sound but when it's just barely handling a small load there's not an eco mode on on the yamaha 2400i so when you're just using a little bit of juice like maybe lights or something it seems to um it seems to not like that low load 
Like it'll start to kind of creep up and idle and then come back down and then creep up and idle again and come back down. But if you turn like a, like a, you know, if you're charging batteries and creeps up and idle and it stays nice and constant. Maybe I do. Yeah. Maybe I, I do need know. to have my jet clean. I leave fuel in it. I always leave fuel in it. Just make sure that it's good clean fuel. If you're going to leave it for over, you know, a month or something like that, I do do a little tablespoon of stable in there and uh, keep everything nice and moist. Yeah, that's the way we like it. Right. Well, you know what, guys? I think uh, we could probably go on and on and on and, uh, when it comes to maintenance stuff. I think, uh, you know, you just kind of got to be cognizant of what you got and take care of it. Really what it boils down to. Uh, of course, uh, the webpage is live now. Yay. Looks awesome. Uh, patting myself on the back. I think we did a fantastic job on that site, guys. It looks really nice. Happy with it. I wanted oh, to, yeah. I wanted to just take a moment to give some credit to a guy that gave us a message on Facebook, said he has some experience with this stuff. And I got to tell you, we were, we were a little nervous about, uh, how the conversion, how the switch was going. And, um, Larry Kagan just stepped up and just took it by the reins and just made it happen. I mean, like that, it was like instantaneous. I have a different view. Yeah. Yeah. It it was more like we had a a whole thing planned out and, and then, randomly at just the right time, this poor guy <laughs> pops on there's like, hey man, I do this for a living. You guys need any help? You know, just give me a shout. He had no idea. He had no idea. <laughs> Two days later, it was like, bend over. <laughs> you are going to get it bad. It, that poor guy, I mean, never even saw it coming. Yeah. There, there was no prep. There was no taking him out to dinner beforehand. It no, was just... No. Oh crap! We're we need help here. Sorry. <laughs> Throw it all in his lap. Don't even give him a reach around. All those things. Yeah. No. No reach around. Nothing. So I just want to say, dude, you are a rock star in our eyes. I mean, when it come when it came right down to it, you stepped up, you took the reins, and you made it happen. And um, we just can't thank you enough. I mean, it, uh, it was. It's uh, absolutely the web pages. Yeah. You know, just even from. Everything else aside, the webpage is so important to what we do because that's how everybody gets the show. And it just was such a relief to know uh, as soon as Larry looked at it and said, oh, I got this. It was just like, problem solved. I, We're in you know good what hands. I mean? Came out of your mouth, not mine. <laughs> so he goes, and then, of course, you know, he he's going to kind of, he's volunteered to help us out with stuff. And obviously we don't want to, overwhelm him with uh, our neediness because we are probably four of the neediest individuals you guys will ever meet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I just wanted to take a little bit of time to um, let you listeners know how appreciative we are of Larry. And I just, I mean, you know, it really comes down to if Larry hadn't stepped in, we don't even know if the webpage would be live right now. So yeah, thank you, dude. Yeah, Big, thank you. big help. And on that note, uh, you know, we, we've got a bad habit around here of uh, butchering people's names. Sweet. Who's and, next? <laughs> well, <laughs> I actually have a bit of a, of a correction. Uh, again, we were talking last week about uh, 
the 3D guy, the plane guy that we oh, just... Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. Come. Yep. Let's hear it. <laughs> that we totally, uh, totally butchered. <laughs> we have confirmation that we butchered it now? Yeah, confirmation. First of all, I, I you know, we meant no disrespect. I, I mean, the name is really... It's not a name you see every day, <laughs> right? So, apparently the proper pronunciation is K. So that's his first name. I don't have his last name written down here anywhere, and apparently it is just as it sounds. Okay. Uh, but his first Solmanzini. name is... Solmanzini. Yeah, Solmanzini. Kike Co- Ke- See there? I'll, even when someone tells me how to say it phonetically, I'll still mess it up. Well... Kike. They can take that handful of vowels back that they threw in there just because... They didn't. <laughs> apparently this guy is a mover and a shaker in the... Uh, planker world he's been at it as nick mentioned for a number of years and he's uh deeply invested with a lot of the companies and uh, uh research and development so his real name or his name is kike not whatever we tried to say last week I just sorry thought, dude thought we'd mention that someone uh, brought it to our attention thanks to everyone that's come on the website and hung out with us in the chat I mean, I, I know I speak for the rest of the guys here and saying that that's a really cool feature. We were really excited about it when we uh, when we came up with it and realized that we were actually going to able or be able to put it into practice. But I, I personally have had a lot of fun just jumping on, saying hi, chatting to a couple of people. Um, we I think we've talked to people from around the world already um, from several different countries. At least that's what they've said. Uh, so, you know, don't be a stranger. Come in and join us in the chat. And, uh, we'll hang out. So, Nick, I was looking on Facebook the other day, and I see that you did send that goblin back. I'm not going to lie, Dan. I grew really attached to that thing. The way it flew, the visibility, the smoothness. I'm, I'm kind of thinking I might have to give me one. Really, dude? You think you might get one of those? Yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason not to. You know, I think I'm going to take some time, sit down, and figure out what size is going to suit me best. Yeah, I think you should, man. They've got the Magnum, the one for the regular Joe, and then they've got the one for the little guy. So go look at their webpage and find out which one suits you best. Oh my god, I can't believe I almost forgot this, guys. Oh, how could you let me forget this part? Uh-oh. We, um, and I'm not going to let it get by me because Bert put a lot of effort into this. So, um, we're going to go ahead. Let me give you guys a little bit of a explanation of what I'm talking about. We, uh, as a lot of you guys know, we've been, uh, interacting with a lot of Australian folks lately. And, uh, we had a listener down there that kind of volunteered to go around to some events and grab some audio. They recently had a fun fly down there and that I believe was last weekend we're going to go ahead and play that, kind of discuss it at the end. Thanks a lot, Bert, for the time. And, uh... 
Well, guys, RC Heli Nation is actually international now because uh, we're reporting from the land down under here in Australia. I'm Bert, aka Augusta, on the RC Heli Nation forums, and uh, I'm here to cover the Victorian State F3C Championships today, and they're currently being held at the Victorian Model Aircraft Association State Flying Field here in Victoria. Um, we're about 40 kilometres north of Melbourne Airport here today. It's a little bit cloudy. There's a bit of a strong breeze blowing, but that doesn't seem to be deterring our pilot during today's competition. So let's get a look in uh, on today's events and see what's actually happening here, chat with some of the folks here today and look at uh, what's on the go for RC in general and the RC pilots here in Australia, guys. Okay, our first guest here for the nation is a good mate of mine, Russell Edwards from Greensboro Model Aircraft Club. How are you going, Russell? I'm going well, Bert. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good. Uh, Russell's a bit of a mentor for me because he's the guy responsible for getting me started in this hobby about two years ago, so he was a, uh, a great influence for me, so thanks for that, Russ. My pleasure. All right. Uh, good turnout today? It is, yeah. Very good numbers, I think. Yeah. What's, what's the story generally with the popularity of RC helicopters here in Australia? I think the popularity has been growing um, a lot over the last few years. I think there's a lot, been a lot of technological increase with uh, a lot of electronics and auto-save features, simulators, uh, electric models, computer radios, 2.4 gig. All these things have really helped move it along and the costs have come down. So I think it's been growing and will continue to grow. It has, hasn't it? Um, and generally, how do you feel the role of RC clubs are de is developing here in Australia? What, what sort of a role do they uh, need to play um, for hobbyists wanting to start in, in this sort of um, in this sort of uh, uh, occupation, what do you think? I, I think they, they play a very big role, Bert. Um, the uh, getting like most a lot of a lot of things, it's very difficult to get started because there's so much information you need to know. It's a long learning curve, and you can really shorten that learning curve by interacting with people who can assist. And generally, the people at clubs are very welcome to. Uh, very helpful, sorry is the word I'm looking for, yeah. um, and on top of that just that interaction with people, you know, seeing what they've got, equipment they've got, and just generally it helps spur you along, you know, you see what they're doing, manoeuvres, it's just, yeah, it's a good thing I think. Alright, that's great Russ, thanks for your time and enjoy the rest of the weekend mate. You too Bert, thanks pal. No worries. And uh, walking a little bit further down the flight line, who do we run into, but Matt Carmichael, welcome to the nation Matt. Thanks, Bert. Good, mate. Tell us a little bit about a uh, little bit about yourself. How long you've been flying? How you got into it? Uh, I've been flying for about six years now. I've um, originally started out just wanting to fly 3D. Attended um, a few fun flies where um, at Melbourne Heli Club where they were doing precision flying and quite enjoyed what I was watching. So uh, in the last two years, I've decided to to get into precision flying and. Uh, uh, enjoying the, the competition and, and, and watching it grow. So tell us a little bit about F3C. What actually is F3C? Well, F3C is precision flying. There's uh, a schedule of pattern that has to be flown, uh, three hovering manoeuvres, and then uh, seven um, what we call upstairs manoeuvres, so aerobatics. Oh, great. And and generally, how's, the, how's F3C progressing here in Australia, mate? Uh, the last two years has actually seen a bit of growth in F3C. Um, there's a, a lot more people... Um, I guess interested in 
a different aspect of helicopter flying. Um, a lot of people are actually starting to see the benefit from F3C and other types of flying, such as scale and, and technical 3D. Oh, okay. And generally, with the great increase that we've seen in, um, in performance of helis these days, how does that affect F3C? Does it make it far more competitive? Um, do you see these machines being pushed to their extreme in, 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 in the case of um, higher-end machines? What do you think? Um... Well, it's, it's the, the advent of, of the electric motor and the, the, the high-powered LiPo has really benefited F3C. Um, a lot of these manoeuvres do call for a lot of power in, in some circumstances. Um, and, and as you'll see from today, I think we've only got two competitors flying Nitro. So, um, you know, the, the power coming from the electrics is definitely... Uh, On the way up. Much yeah, more, it's... Yeah, it's, it's yeah. yeah. All right. Well, look, that, that's great, Matt. Thanks for your time, and thanks a lot for talking to us here on The Nation, mate. Thanks, Bert. No My worries. Pleasure. Thanks, mate. Right, guys. Um, I'm now pretty privileged to be sitting with the um, the international F3C team representing Australia. Here we've got Brendan Tucker. G'day, Brendan. G'day. How are you going? And Mark Swan. How are you going, mate? And Mick Warren. How are you going, Mick? Good, thanks, mate. Good, mate. Um, so tell us a little bit about, um, about your team and what you guys are actually about and and fill in the nation listeners to the story with uh, Team Quest. What's all that about, too? Um, well, for starters, we're the um, chosen people for the Australian F3C team, uh, which was carried out in uh, June this year for um, the attendance to the World Championships in Poland next year, right. 2013. Uh-huh. Um, team Quest is um, pretty much just a, a group of blokes that... Um, Fly Quest Impactions. That's our the model that we use for F3C competition. Nice machines too, I might add. Yeah, nice and expensive too. <laughs> yeah, and um, basically we're just uh, gelling together and this meeting and um, trying to sort out a few things for next year's trip and hopefully make everything a smooth transition. So when we get there, we don't have to panic about anything. Terrific. And uh, and Mark. Wh- What's the overall team's performance over the years? How, how long have you three been together? How have you seen the team progressing? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, essentially, this will be the first year that I'm actually on the team. So the other two, Brennan and Mick here, have been on the team before a couple of times. Um, I've had a big break in the middle and haven't really tried, so this will be the first year that I'm actually going over with them. Um, team, we've been together now since... Uh, it's been, what, six or seven months we've been playing together now with our, with three quests and getting everything gelled together, working together. We've got a bit of distance between us. One of us is in Wagga, me and Brendan. I'm in Sydney and then mix up in uh, Toowoomba. Yeah, Brisbane. Brisbane, yeah. a bit further. Yeah. So a bit of distance between us. So whenever we can get together and get the chance to get together, we do. And practice and get everything ready for next year so great thanks mark and mick when's the next international competition and how do you think the team's going to go well what we should the next competition will be in uh, in poland and that's in july next year and um generally it's it, it's fairly difficult for us because most of the um most of the, the the top world pilots from other countries quite often a lot of them are full-time pilots so it is fairly, fairly difficult, but in past we've done pretty well. We've sort of done, uh, yeah, done, finished quite well in the, in the overall scheme of things, you know. Mm-hmm. And what hopes have you got for the, for the team in the next, say, year or two? Uh, probably just to progress with a point. I suppose each of us would like to at least try and make the finals, which is like the, 
I have like a preliminaries in the World Championships and then I have a finals, which is like they eliminate the bottom half of the, 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 the pilots and then they just have a finals with the, the top, I think, 15% pilots. So that, that's probably the best, the, 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 you know, the best um, goal that we could set for the team. Excellent. Well, thanks for that, Nick. Well, I wish you, wish you guys all the best. Um, keep our fingers crossed that you do really well next year in Poland, fellas. And uh, thanks for talking to us on uh, RC Heli Nation, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, guys. Okay, um, I'm feeling pretty... Right. Okay, we'll carry on anyway. Regardless, um, I'm pretty privileged here um, to be uh, sitting with Carl Beeson, the president of the VMAA, and the fellow that just ran out the door was Greg Lepp, the vice president, so hopefully he'll be back soon. Um, Carl, welcome to RC Heli Nation. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, the, the role of the state flying field here and how it relates to all the other clubs in, here in Victoria and Australia-wide? Yeah, the, the state field is an asset owned by every aeromodeller in Victoria and its prime purpose is to make sure that no matter what, aeromodellers have got a place to come and fly. And I think if we understand the biggest risk that faces aeromodelling as a, as a sport or a pastime is a, the pressure on flying fields, whether it's because we... As clubs, we lease properties off uh, owners um, or we borrow land off councils. Um, some of those tenures that some of the clubs have are short-term, some are long-term, some are based on relationships. But at the end of it, it's not very permanent. And we have a strategic vision that says that to protect our hobby for the longer term, that we need to own our own land so that no matter what, people have got a place to go. And I guess with urban sprawl, that puts more and more pressure on um, on hobbyists trying to find a particular place to fly permanently as well too. Correct. Yeah. And so if you look at some of the metro clubs in Melbourne, some of them are getting squeezed out, some of them are on land that is somewhat obnoxious, which means they're not going to be have the same pressure to, or, than fields that are close to urban sprawl that are slowly going to get swallowed up by the encroaching houses. Right. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about what sort of events are actually held here? So as a state asset, um, the primary purpose of the state field is to hold uh, special interest state level events. Um, so state titles, as is today, we're running the F3C helicopter state title. Yeah. Um, we run a lot of other state titles here. The pylon guys use it. Um, there are a lot of SIGs uh, get value out of it. Um, and also we run the VMAA Trophy here once a year, which is really the biggest inter-club event that I understand is in the country, where clubs from all around Victoria come here and compete on a, on a club basis. Okay, that sounds great. And just, just to wrap things up for the day, uh, where do you see the future in general for RC hobbyists, Carl? I think it's getting, um, you know, I think a couple of years ago it went through a period where it kind of plateaued, um, but I think we're seeing growth again now, particularly with the advent of more affordable models and radios. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this for over 30 years and, and I think the hobby now is more affordable than it's ever been. That's great. Look, thanks, Carl, so much for your time today. It's been a great day and, uh, and thanks for uh, speaking with us here on behalf of RC Heli Nation. You're welcome. Well, it looked like, uh, looks like Greg got uh, called away to do some more uh, F3, F3C scoring anyway, but he's been running around like crazy all day long, so much appreciated, Greg, and thanks. Well, guys, it's been a great day here at the VMAA F3C Championships. 30 pilots, pinpoint manoeuvres, and great RC heli banter all round. Well, this has been Bert, a.k.a. Augusta, reporting for RC Heli Nation from way down under, guys. Back to you, Dan, and thanks again.
So anyway, guys, that was Bert. Bert, thanks a lot for taking the time to uh, talk to a bunch of pilots down there. It's always uh, interesting. First of all, that accent. Man, what can <laughs> you say? Awesome. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I gotta love it. I could just listen to that all day long. Let me, let me, I've never seen Bert, but I've got, you know, when you hear somebody's voice, you kind of build a mental impression. Mm-hmm. And here's what I see. Do you guys remember uh, Crocodile Dundee, that movie, Crocodile Dundee? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Do you remember the old guy that was like his buddy? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> the you better car. hope you're not wrong. You better hope you're wrong or you, you could really insult him. The guy, the guy that is wearing the khakis and that, that, that like bush hat or whatever they call it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, I just, that's the mental image that I got. <laughs> so you live in Montana. <laughs> All right, Bert. Now you're gonna have to send us a picture, man. He's gonna have to send me some hate mail. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Of course, Bert. No, it. Uh, you know, we we love to hear what's going on out there, guys. So, uh, you know, get in touch with me if it's something you might be interested in doing in your neck of the woods, uh, and uh, we can discuss the details of that. Again, Bert, thank you. That was awesome. It's nice to hear from you guys down on da down on da. Isn't that was that Foster's Australian for beer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm not even, like that. I'm not even going to attempt the accent because I butcher names. <laughs> well, what the hell? I butcher names. I might as well butcher accents <laughs> as well. Add that to your, uh, <laughs> your repertoire. My repertoire. That almost didn't come out right either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, guys. Uh, so I got some kind of exciting news. I've gotten in touch with a few pilots so we can get them on the air. Uh, I was talking with Bert Cameron, and uh, of course, uh, most of you who follow what Bert's doing, he's he's uh, on his way to uh, South America, Brazil, I believe. When he gets back, he's going to be super, super busy, obviously getting ready for the Orlando Heli blowout, but he wants to make some time to come on the show. I think you guys should probably pay attention for when that happens. You might like that episode. <laughs> uh, also, too... I've been kind of talking with Tim Jones, and um, so we were talking back and forth on Facebook. Um, he asked me to uh, tell him specifically where the David Kettlehut video or interview was. <laughs> Haven't heard from him since, so I don't know if he's going to be on or not. Hopefully, go poke him. Oh uh, yeah, these guys—they can take. They can. They got a good sense of humor for the most part. I think. I hope so. We'll we're find. Not, are, are we really that bad? I didn't think so. But no. It's all in good fun. That's what oh, everybody needs man. to remember. Definitely. Heck yeah. All right, guys, if you wanted to get in touch with me, you could do that at dan at com and Dan K. Reed on some of the forums. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. Dude, I tried again. I really tried. <laughs> I was wondering what he was going to say when we got to this part. I've been waiting for two and a half hours for that part. And uh, I would love to hear from you. Uh, Nick, if I wanted to get in touch with you, how would I do that? Um, you could uh, definitely shoot me an email at nick at rchelynation.com. And I'm going to be the bigger person say that on the majority of the forums, you can get in touch with me as NWM Tech. Justin, if I want to get in touch with you, how would I do that? You could get me at Justin at RCHeliNation.com or Justin Pucci on most of the forums. And last but certainly not, well, yeah, pretty much least. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, Jesse. Just kidding. How would I get in touch with you, Jesse? It's okay. I'll take it. You, you finally gave me an email. so Yeah, but uh, 
Are we going to tell everybody what you had to do to get it? <laughs> Ooh. I See, think this, this time we'll, we'll go no. Uh, <laughs> no. Nick and no. Nick and Justin, they, they tried to play coy and pretend like they didn't know what they had to do. I just want to uh, know if it was we'll, worse we'll or if I got the bad. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> Nick. That's a whole other episode. All right, Jesse, if I wanted to get in touch with you, how would I do that? Uh, you could shoot me an email at jesse at rchelynation.com or catch me at Salmonson63 on all of the forums. And one other place you could catch me, guys, is on the Phoenix Simulator, pretty much nightly, starting a RC Heli Nation Phoenix session. So you guys can also catch me on there on the sim. We sure hope you guys have enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Have a good week, guys. We will see you next Monday. Adios. This has been a production of RC Heli Nation, LLC. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion, send us an email using the Contact Us link on the homepage. If you'd like to make a donation, there's a Donate Now button on our homepage as well.